Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome Casey Ratzler. Born with spina bifida, Casey played many sports until he found tennis at the age of 12 and found his gift. Years later, Casey advanced to the round of 16 in singles and to the quarterfinals in doubles at the Paralympic Games in Tokyo in 2020. Today, he takes a break from his busy schedule on the professional wheelchair tennis tour to talk with us about sport and faith. Let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Casey Ratzlaff with us today on the show. Casey, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about sport in your life. Yeah, so uh, um, I grew up in a family of athletes. Um, grew up born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan, um, Kansas City Royals fan. My dad was a big uh, football and baseball fan, so we had those teams on the TV growing up. And um, all my siblings played played uh, sports through high school, middle school, um, growing up through childhood. So I was kind of surrounded by that culture, um, that that sports culture that um, helped influence me growing up. And um, I was born with spina bifida, so um, I wasn't exactly, uh, you know, in the same boat as my siblings uh, as far as um, my capabilities of uh, just jumping into sports out of school or what have you. Um, it was a little bit more of a complex road for me, but I, for the longest time, wanted to uh, find something to be a part of, uh, a team or a sport or anything, and I was begging my parents for the longest time to find me something, and uh, I tried a number of different things, basketball, um, I snow ski, uh, even to this day, I, I snow ski, uh, I haven't been in too long, but that was kind of my first love, but um, started snow skiing, uh, water skiing, basketball, like I said, uh, hand cycling, number of different things but uh i eventually found tennis um in the summer of 2011 and uh um, i remember my mom uh, my mom and my dad stumbled across a flyer for an adaptive sports clinic in uh, the church we were attending at the time uh, on sunday and uh, we were like hey let's let's go check it out and uh later in the week we went and um, it was held at one of our uh, local high schools uh, in Wichita. And, um, yeah, they had wheelchair tennis there, and um, they slapped me in a chair and put a racket in my hand, and I was bumping balls over the net and fell in love ever since. Um, and that was kind of that's kind of the story of how I got into into tennis, and uh, I've been running with it ever since. Well, we'll explore that uh, much more in, in the moments to come here. But tell us a little bit now about uh, faith in your life. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of mentioned it before, but um, uh, I was born and raised in a um, in a Christian family, um, a Mennonite Christian family, and we've always had that strong um, background in our faith and uh, in, in our uh, personal foundations in our life. I was. Um, always raised to uh put faith forward in um every facet of our lives and um you know especially uh, i guess we're gonna if we're gonna talk about uh 
you know, my, my relationship with faith and sports, um, you know, from the get go, my, my family and my parents were always, um, very, uh, supportive and, um, wanted to ensure that I was putting my faith forward and, um, making sure that everything I do is for the glorification of God and, um, making sure that before everything else, I have a, a great foundation in my faith and then everything else is, uh, um, extra. And, uh, as long as I'm doing things for the right reasons and for the glor- glorification of God and for my own faith and, um, well-being, then, um, no matter what happens and no matter what the results are, whether I'm winning, losing, uh, wherever, what phase I am in life, um, it's all for a greater good and, um, all for a great, you know, purpose, and all part of my plan. So, well, Casey, there's a lot to unpack there. I uh, really appreciate your honesty and, and getting the ball rolling in so many directions. First, I have to say that the NFL has come out with their uh, schedule for the fall. Yeah. And our beloved Detroit Lions will be taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. And so uh, I'm just going to have to apologize now for, you know, starting your season off so poorly. Um, <laughs> we're we're pretty bullish on the Lions right now. I know our international listeners could care less, but I just got to get that plug in because we don't get to chirp for the Lions very often, uh, typically only before the season. So yeah. this is my opportunity to chirp. So there we go. <laughs> Well, I hope for for the sake of the Detroit Lions, it's at least a home game for y'all, so you at least have a chance. But uh, yeah, good <laughs> luck to you. You know, the sad part is you have all the heft to be able to make comments like that all through this podcast, uh, and, and <laughs> sadly, we're just going to have to live with it. Uh, so, what I'd really like to know, and my my question is this: uh, Tell us something about you that uh may not be obvious something uh maybe a hobby an interest a place you've traveled something to help us get to know you oh man i don't know why this is jumping out to me immediately um but i am a diehard huge huge lord of the rings fan like anything lord of the rings i grew up watching those movies haven't been as haven't been to new zealand yet which is killing me but i'm a huge huge lord of the rings fan diehard absolute nerd when it comes to it um yeah i don't know what it's it's kind of like a hobby of mine i like i like to collect different things like merchandise around lord of the rings and i don't know i don't know why this is jumping out right now but uh i'll include that well certainly an interest area right and uh you know around christmas time people can always get you something lord of the rings and not go <laughs> wrong right that's yeah, always, uh always happy with that birthdays Anything Lord of the Rings, I'm happy with. Love it. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's about as far as I know, Chad. So if you want to jump in on Lord of the Rings, I, you know, not. I've seen the movies. Um, my my daughter's read all the books. She's uh, yeah. very into it. I'll, I'll introduce you. Um, so, Casey, I wonder if we could start with uh, opening doors. So tennis uh, for you has given you opportunity. We say that about sport, you know, in, in some ways you had a drive to play sport. You described the drive to play sport that was there from the beginning, uh, not even based entirely on being good at something. You tried a lot of different things and you were uh, just interested in getting involved. And then you, you fell into tennis. Um, 
And that's taken you somewhere. Tell me about where it's taken you. Tell me what doors it has opened for you as you've started at age 11 and now uh, have continued on through this part of your life. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, it's been it's been everything in my life basically up to this point. Um, it 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 opened a door to a professional world um, and a career path that I did not think possible. Um even after I started, I didn't know what I was getting to into in the early years of my my tennis career. Um, my, I'll, I'll tell you about my first uh, international experience that really helped me open my eyes to what's possible here. Um, so I started playing in 2011, and uh, the guy who actually got me started playing his his name is Nick Taylor. He's a former Paralympian, multiple multiple time gold medalist, uh, multiple time Grand Slam champion. Um, he's also a Wichita. Uh, native um, and he plays in the quad division he's in a power chair um, um, he uh, got me started playing tennis and uh, he went up to my mom right after I started bumping balls over the net and was like hey I could have your kid um, be on the national junior team in a couple of years if you let me train him and uh, give me uh, give him rather some of the the resources that I have access to um, but anyways, um, fast forward a couple of years and I was invited to be on the junior national team um, that would compete um, at, in what we call World Team Cup competition, which is basically our Davis Cup. If you know Davis Cup for the able-bodied country versus country, big competition. Um, and that was held in Turkey. Um, and I had never been overseas to Europe. I mean, I, I haven't been far from uh from home. So it was a big milestone for me in a couple different ways, but I went and, um, at world team cup, you have the best players in the world and you have high, uh, over a hundred players all over the world, different, different levels. Um, that they also consist of, uh, some of the highest level guys and just being exposed to that and seeing how far it could be taken. Um, and the different levels of it and how professional those guys are, it was mind blowing. And I think that was one of the earliest experiences that I had that really helped to motivate me to uh, run with it and really take it, or really push myself to take it to new levels. Um, but that, that was one of my first eye-opening experiences on, and, and door-opening experiences, if you will, on the possibility of this and how far I could take it. You know, at, at this point in my life, I'm playing um, three of the four Grand Slams, and I'm uh, top 15 player in the world, uh, playing a uh, a solid calendar year round where I'm gone. I don't know how many weeks out of the year, but I'm on I'm on tour months out of the year. Um, I just actually got off of a six week stint in Europe that ended with um, playing at the French Open and it's a completely sustainable professional high level. I mean, we're playing on TV, right? Um, I never knew that it would be possible going into this, but it's a completely professionalized tour and it's incredible what it's given me. It's given me, um, access to an incredible, um, it's given me access to, to meet some of the most incredible people that I've met in my life. Um, some of the most accomplished people, uh, driven people, um, and, and, and some of the people I can call, um, friend in my life. I've met so many friends on tour and, 
um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotten me to Birmingham, Alabama. I moved because of tennis. Um, I was living in Wichita for 21 years, 22 years. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the doors are still opening thus far in my life and, um, the opportunities are continuing to uh, come in and increase. And, uh, it's, it's great. The world of wheelchair tennis and adaptive athletics is in a great spot right now. And, uh, no, it's, it's amazing. The 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup is happening this summer and is being co-hosted by the Kiwis and in the land down under. Hi, I'm Rev Brad, Director of Soccer Chaplains United, and I wanted to let you know we've just published a new devotional book entitled Five Women You Meet in Faith and Football. This devotional features five daily readings over the course of five weeks and introduces the reader to five very special women in the Bible. Each one has unique characteristics and personality traits. Each of them faced unique challenges in their lives, but by the power of God and with their special gifting, their difficulty and adversity became something amazing. Five Women You Meet in Faith and Football, check it out. It's available on Amazon, either in paperback or Kindle format. It's designed to be read individually or to be used as a small group or team study. Five Women You Meet in Faith and Football. Read and reflect more on these women who, in the strength of God, went beyond greatness. Find a copy in your country's Amazon site today. Casey, give us a landscape of the wheelchair tennis world here. So, you know, you're in Wichita, you're, you're sort of brought into the game by this guy that's been this, you know, top level player in the world that sees something in you uh, and wants to help sort of mentor you, bring you into, into to that culture you move to Birmingham to, to train, you're training there. You know, what's it about Birmingham? Um, is, is Turkey a, a spot where you're regularly going? You mentioned that as a junior, is that traveling around the world, the world cup, is that traveling around, you know, you, you're, you're going to the, uh, to the grand slams, you're traveling all over the place. Uh, yeah. uh, give us a sense for, um, you know, where, where the U S stacks up in terms of players, you know, uh, um, and and what some of the hot spots are maybe within the U.S. for you? There's something about Birmingham, or what is it? Yeah, no. In in terms of my story and journey, if you will, um, uh, I I made the move to Birmingham because of my personal coach. My personal coach is his name is Justin DeSanto. Um, he's uh, currently the the head coach for the men's team over at UAB University of Alabama at Birmingham. And he used to be for five years, I think it was. Um, he was the assistant uh, at Wichita State University, which is my local university. So I, I met him while he was uh, the assistant and we started working together. And uh, me and him have done really well. He's pushed me to new levels I didn't think possible of myself. And he's helped me attain some of my, my highest career uh, milestones and achievements. Um, so he got... Basically, he got the job at UAB, and I wanted to follow him and maintain my relationship with him. And um, he gave me an opportunity to learn a little bit about college tennis and what it takes to run a team and some of the behind-the-scenes behind stuff. And um, I've taken the opportunity as well, and that's been fantastic over at Birmingham. But um, to talk about the landscape of wheelchair tennis as a whole, um, so wheelchair tennis was actually founded in um, – in the States, uh, in the seventies, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what year it was, but I think it was 
I want to say it was 76. I, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But um, it was actually founded in the States in Southern California in, uh, in the seventies. And it grew from there and where it stands today is you see a lot of, you know, the former legends of our sports being Americans. And, uh, but right now it's very dominated by European players and Asian players. And you see a lot of the guys in the top 15, well, mo pretty much all of them are European or, 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 um, Asian Japan has a, a a lot of really good players um, and that is applicable to the uh, wheelchair tennis calendar as well a lot of the tournaments that I play are um, in Europe or Asia so um, and then you have the four grand slams as well and you know that's the pr progression of wheelchair tennis is it's slowly and slowly being integrated into more of the um, ATP, uh, ATP WTA events that are being held, um, at the, uh, more household name events, if you will. Um, but we have been integrated into the, uh, four slams at this point, which is fantastic. We love that for wheelchair tennis, but, um, one of the next goals for the sport as a whole, uh, I believe is being integrated into more of the ATP events so that we can be alongside, um, the um the atp the the, the able-bodied professional players as well so and that's that'd be great for uh, the publicity of the sport and um obviously you want to play at those facilities at those events because they're super high level and um really well run high quality events so um, i don't know if that answered your question at all but um, yeah yeah sure thanks so, Casey, I'd love to just step inside the world a little bit. We can all watch wheelchair tennis and get, you know, the general sense of it. But um, every sport has its intricacies. So mm -hmm. if you really know a sport, there are strategies, there are tactics, there are, are movements that are elevated at a certain time. You know, baseball players, there was, a, there was an era of launch angle, right? This is the way we're going to hit the yeah. baseball there's an era of uh triangle offense in basketball uh get it bring me inside to maybe one or two sort of leading edge controversies or decisions you make as a strategic player in wheelchair tennis that helps me understand hey I'm, i went this route or i went that route uh so i can understand the sport kind of at you know behind the curtain yeah so i mean one of the things that jumps out about wheelchair tennis and strategy and you know, at a basic understandable level, obviously it gets pretty intricate, but in wheelchair tennis, you have, so in, I'll start with this in regular tennis, you have one bounce, right? But in wheelchair tennis, the only difference, the only rule change, the only way it's different from the able-bodied counterpart is you get an optional second bounce. Um, and where that can switch up the strategy is, is obviously if you take that first bounce and if you commit to, taking that chance on the first bounce as often as possible um you're taking away time from your opponent to adjust and move and react to your shot um and i think that's at a basic level ultimately what can be the difference in a match winner and a match loser in wheelchair tennis is their ability to take it on that first bounce 
and really cut away your time and you know put you on the back foot it's first strike tennis all the way in wheelchair tennis because you don't have that mobility you don't have the ability to sidestep out of the way or have that quick lateral movement you have to have your um your movement patterns in wheelchair tennis and your recovery patterns you always have to be moving um and you know it's a very fine balance of being behind or ahead or you know on par in the point so you'll see that a lot if you if you tune in on wheelchair tennis watch a match or find something on tv youtube wherever um you see a lot of guys their goal is to be the first guy to take it on that first bounce and and move the guy get the guy moving from side to side so if we're going to watch you Casey, uh, or if, if we're going to ask people uh, that you're playing against regularly, all right, here's Casey's, you know, the, the top ranked player in the U.S., top 15 in the world. Um, describe, d- describe what it is that makes, that makes you uh, such, such a good player. Like what, what are your, what are your strengths? I mean, are you serving? Are you serving? Are, are you, I mean, what, what do you, what, what do you say? Like, what's your calling card here in, in terms of like, what's, what's made you a great wheelchair tennis player? Yeah, I think I'm always, you know, I, I'm a always in it kind of guy. I'm, I always pride myself on my uh, work ethic out there on the court, and I'm never out of it. I think I'm a pretty physical, athletic, um, hardworking player. Um, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good pusher on tour. Um, I always like to try to grind every point out whenever I can get them, um, and. You know, other than that, I I don't know. Everybody hits good forehands. Everybody hits good backhands. Everybody serves well. Um, it's that sort of thing. I think it's just mentality-wise. I, I always, I think that's one of the things that can kind of stick stick out between me and some of the players on tours that um, I'm always going to go out there and give 100% and uh, work like a dog out there on the court and grind out as many points as I can. And, um. Yeah, I'm, that's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. So, Casey, every sport has a culture, and those cultures shift, too, when you move from one place to another. Um, sometimes there's an overall culture, like uh, another racket sport, pickleball, has uh, has taken off. And if you walk onto a, a, a in a pickleball area, that you, that has been a really welcoming kind of place. Hey, I'll teach you to play kind of thing, right? Yeah. You, you walk out and you play pickup basketball at a, at a local park, not as helpful, right? It's just yeah. never was that kind of space. So I'm wondering about the culture of wheelchair basketball, particularly at the highest level, uh, or or sorry, wheelchair tennis, particularly at the highest level. Um, are there uh, things that you could use to describe the people you've met, the competitors you've met, um, and and if possible, has uh, your Christian faith been something you've uh, been able to? use as a connecting point or is it more in in the background would you say in in this culture yeah it's you know as a very you know eastern european and european in general sport um heavily dominated by that population i would i would say that my faith has not exactly had a forefront in uh, particularly how people connect um it's just not a it's not had a great presence in how people connect in our sport. Um, and 
um, as of right now, there aren't a huge amount of players uh, in America specifically that are playing. Uh, we have a good presence of young guys that are on on tour, young juniors that are um, improving and, and starting to uh, really take it on in our sport. But there isn't a huge amount of players. There were in the generation before me. Um, the, the population was very, very high in uh, American wheelchair tennis. But um, I forgot the first part of your question. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I was just asking about the the culture. How would you describe the culture? Yeah. Is it is it is it animosity between players? Um, do you all you know legitimately shake hands and hang out in the in the locker room? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. What's it like? <laughs> well, I think, um, especially at the highest level of our sport, we're all we all kind of have have this. We're all in this together kind of thing, and and developing our sport and professionalizing it and getting it out on um the biggest stages and really our our goal i think as high level professional players is ultimately to push our sport to be as exposed and out there as possible so that it can, it can continue to grow and um we can start financially supporting ourselves uh better and better through um chasing our our, our dreams and and traveling and competing and um it's not there's no animosity or any uh, rivalry, if you will, uh, between players. We're all um, a pretty good group of guys uh, with different backgrounds, different diversities, and uh, how we came up and where we came from. And um, but we're all friends. It's a good group. Um, it's not. It's it's you know we see each other a lot. It's a lot of familiar faces that you see um, on tour and throughout the world. And, um, it's a good group of, of people. You know, the locker room culture is such an important part of like, I think what, what makes a sport, what it is. And, um, like I'm watching full swing right now on Netflix, uh, the, the documentary about, about the PGA tour, uh, from, from two years ago. And, and you get a sense from, from some of that, that like, especially in these individual sports at the pro level that you, the, the players that make it to the top levels are so invested in the, the, the game, right. In the sport yeah. itself. So like what you're saying really resonates that <clears throat> you have, you have guys competing against each other, you know, at the highest levels in the world, super intense, you know, great competitors give it all. I mean, this is their livelihood, right. But then there's also a way in which you have to, you have to cooperate in certain ways. And, and you, you actually have like, similar interests and you have things that you're all trying to do that are that are the same and so um uh, you know appreciate you you saying that like you need to do what's good for the game of wheelchair tennis right what's good for yeah. the sport and and i can see where there's a shared interest there um and that documentary just made me sort of think about that like everyone's everyone's in this thing like we need to do what's best for wheelchair tennis we need to do what's best for golf you know whatever else it might be uh <laughs> because then it's better for all of us right you're, you're raising the water level uh, yeah across the board and so I, I love hearing that. And I think that's oftentimes like a, a forgotten aspect of sport, especially at the top levels, is that that need to cooperate and that need to like, you know what, like we're to, we're together here. And and even though we're competing against each other and we see each other maybe as enemies, like we need to do what's best, what's best for the game. Um, anyways, uh, uh, besides that sort of side note, I just uh, appreciate that last answer. Um, I'm wondering about the the ways in which 
in which you like, who is it that, that that's around you supporting you? Like, who do you, who do you turn to? You, you mentioned your coach, you mentioned uh, the guy that got you into the sport. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about your family, but I, I'm curious about like their role right now in terms of what you're doing, supporting, supporting you as a young adult and aspiring professional, like talk about your family. Yeah. I mean, family is hugely important, um, no matter what you're doing and, and, and tennis is no different, or I guess any professional sport or, or sport that you decide to really chase after, uh, your, your, uh, evolution and your, and, and your life. You, you go through, di- it's it's much like life in that you go through different phases and you go ups and downs, victories, losses, um, bad times, good times. And, you know, it's it's something that I've learned in the past couple of years of managing my mental health, um, my my faith, my, my, my grounding, if you will, as a person and having the identity as a professional athlete you said it, you can get way too wrapped into it and it can become your entire identity. And then your entire identity becomes dependent on, dependent on if you win or you lose, if you lose, you're bad. If you win, everything's, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Um, and that's just, that's an unhealthy way to live. And, um, having your identity outside of your sport, you know, being a brother, being a son, a daughter a cousin or a boyfriend girlfriend you know whatever it may be having your identity or or a follower of christ um having your identity be depending being dependent on you know things outside of your sport and professional life is entirely healthy and and um positive towards your your mental health and managing um your mental health as well um because um you know if you're not doing well then you know, how can you possibly perform at your best or do your best at your job, whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, that's that's something that I've really um, learned how to manage much better than I did um, over the last couple of years in, in comparison to the handful of years beforehand. You know, I've had burnouts. I've had um, long periods of mental health issues uh, with my sport profession and confidence and whatnot. I've been through it all. And, um, you know, it's a learning process and, you know, you're always improving as a person and, um, you know, my, my journey with my faith is, has never been perfect, I would say, but it's something that I've always been wanting to improve on and always try to continue to prove on because it's a part of my identity and it's part of who I am. And if it's grounded and in a good place, um, you know, alongside with, you know, my, my relationship with my family, my personal relationships, um, with my friends. And, uh, you know, if I make sure all those are, are taken care of and, uh, I'm making steps to improve those different facets of my life, then, uh, my tennis will as a side effect become better and more enjoyable. So. I I think that's extremely well said, uh, Casey. I really appreciate you um, letting us know what it has been like in your journey to um, keep developing as a as an elite athlete, right? So as a as a person who is in pretty rare air, and you're able to look back and see how you have matured and developed, uh, and and your perspective has changed, and yet 
you've maintained a high level of competitiveness along the way. And so it's been great to hear your story. We really appreciate it. Um, I wonder as we close this up, if you could just give us an idea of where folks might be able to see you play, what's coming up. Um, and so we have an opportunity to maybe look you up and, and, and see some high level wheelchair tennis. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm actually gearing up. I'm, I'm at home right now visiting family in Wichita, but I'm gearing up for uh, a handful of tournaments in Europe coming up here. Um, I'm going to be playing in Germany. Uh, I have a tournament in Berlin. I'm playing in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, and uh, I'm ending my trip, though. Well, maybe I, I might be playing. I'm ironing out my schedule right now. I might be playing tournaments further in, but I know I'm playing in Belgium after that. So those three tournaments, but I might be playing a few more after that. Um, you know, it's kind of the thing about uh, being a tennis player. There's a year-round calendar, and you kind of figure out where you're playing. And you know, if you, if you really wanted, you could play a tournament every weekend of the year and never be home. I mean, there's just that many tournaments, but that's just part of that. Um, but uh, no, you can find my schedule on my website at katesarasslev.com. And uh, you can also keep up with my my uh, my life through my Instagram at uh, kcrasslev underscore. I, I believe that's my Twitter handle as well. Um, I try to do my best on posting on those. I'm not the greatest social media person, but uh, I do my best there. And uh, um, uh, at, at a lot of these wheelchair tennis tournaments, you don't find um, the best resources in terms of uh, being able to keep up with scores or uh, being able to find a match you can watch on TV or on a streaming service somewhere. Uh, but they do have those um, supplied at a lot of different tournaments that I play. and um, I always try to uh, advertise those on my uh, social media accounts and uh, get those out for, so that my people can, can watch me play. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. Casey, thanks so much for coming on Sport Faith Life. It's just been great to get to know you. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Chad. It was great talk, and uh, thank you for this opportunity, and I, I hope it turns out well. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life.